morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, Thursday, March the 9th, in the year 2006, and we are in the Assembly of Stars Meditation Hall, the Dharma Nectar Temple in the Lower Hamlet. Today we will uh, discuss about um, the effectiveness, uh, the practice of prayer, of praying. Uh, publishers uh, Weekly, a magazine uh, in the United States of America, uh, has uh, um, sent a, about uh, nine or ten uh, questions about uh, the topic. And these are these questions that I is going to try to answer today. The first question, how is prayer related to peace and to peacemaking? The second question, there is a chapter on meditation in your book on prayer, the energy of prayer. How do you see the relationship between meditation and prayer in your own life? Third question, why is it, why is it important to pray with the body? Fourth, how can you avoid falling into the trap of routine? When you are praying, the trap of going through the words or motion without paying attention. The fifth, some Christians, those who think of God, of God as someone external and powerful and transcendent, will be surprised to know that Buddhists pray. What you, would you say to them? And the sixth, how can people find the time to pray every day? Seventh, what is the one thing people can do every day that will bring them closer to the happiness they seek? Eighth, should uh, Christians attracted to Buddhist teachings become Buddhist? Nine, nine, what did you find in Vietnam when you returned in 2005? What were your impressions? This question does not seem to have anything with prayer. The last one, you will be 80 this year. Do you plan to retire <laughs> as a spiritual teacher at any point? 
this is also a question that has not much to do with prayer. And uh, Sister Pine uh, has promised that she will type the answer and email to weekly publishers weekly. I'd like to begin with uh, the fifth question. Some Christians, those who think of God as someone external and powerful and transcendent, will be surprised to know that Buddhists pray. What would you say to them? Maybe uh, uh, Christians and Buddhists, uh, they understand the word prayer differently. But to begin with, I would say that uh, when we talk of uh, praying, we think of the one who pray, the one who practice uh, praying, and then the one we address, uh, to whom we address the prayer, and the one uh, we pray for, uh, three persons. And the one we pray for may be ourselves. We pray for our own uh, well-being. But we can always, uh, always uh, distinguish uh, three persons. The one who prays, the one uh, we uh, address our prayer, to whom we address our prayer, and the one who pray for. And to say that um, the Buddhists um, do not address uh, their prayer to uh, an external uh, person, suppose a force, that does not seem to be correct. The praying is also asking for help. And uh, in the Buddhist tradition, we ask um, the Sangha to help us. We ask the Buddha to help us. The one who is asking, the one who is uh, praying, uh, is the point uh, of uh, beginning. That person has to see things uh, clearly enough, has to be calm and serene enough in order to uh, to ask for help. And the first thing is that he or she should uh, be truly there, concentrated, 
with uh, a desire, with an intention. And this is the basic condition for, for the effectiveness of prayer. The one who prays should be truly uh, there, established in the here and the now. Um, having a very clear intention, a very clear desire as uh, to whom he or she will pray and for whom uh, he or she will pray for. And if uh, the one who prays uh, can put himself or herself in that situation, or much has already done. And then that person has already uh, begun to, in, to, uh, to uh, generate uh, the energy of prayer because she, he is uh, uh, truly present in the here and the now with uh, concentration, with mindfulness and intention. And if that does not happen, well, nothing will happen. And then the one who, uh, the one to whom um, uh, he or she prays, should be known to him or to her. Should be known to him or to her, and not just an idea of that person. If you pray. Uh, the Buddha, and you should know who the Buddha is, and not just uh, a number of ideas you have uh, of the Buddha. And if uh, you know who the Buddha is, <coughs> and prayer will be effective. If you feel that the Buddha is uh, fully present in the here and the now, that you have the capacity of touching him or her, and then the prayer will be effective. You know that uh, the Buddha is there also within you in the form of mindfulness, compassion, concentration. So the Buddha is no longer an idea but a reality. Suppose you pray, uh, you ask your father to help. Your father, you know who he is. Your father lived uh, long, 90 years old. And uh, his uh, cells, the cells of his body are still in you. So when you address um, uh, your father, daddy, help me. You touch your father in the most concrete way. And you don't just touch an idea. Father is not an idea. You are the continuation of your father. Suppose um, um, someone tells you that you have cancer. Uh, if uh, you suspect to have cancer, and then you can uh, call for your father to help. 
Daddy, I know that you are solid. Your cells are so wonderful that are in me. Please come and help. Please uh, help me. And then you feel the response of your father right away in your body. Your father said, I'm here. Don't worry, my child. You have very solid cells. They know how to replicate. Don't worry. And when you pray like that, you, 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 uh, you get in touch with your father. And you can see the effect of the prayer right away. If you have a grandmother, a grandfather who was solid, you know that uh, the one you pray to is there always in you and around you. So in that kind of practice, uh, you see that uh, your father, your mother, your grandpa, uh, they are still there in their new uh, uh, manifestations. And we are not, not addressing our prayer to something, um, someone uh, 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 that, that is not real, that is not existing, but to reality. The same is true with uh, Buddha or Jesus. According to the insight we get, uh, the Buddha continues. Jesus also continues in the new form. And if you are uh, a Buddhist practitioner, uh, you continue the Buddha. He is a Buddhist practitioner. He continues the Buddha. So addressing the Buddha as the object of your prayer, uh, that is possible. That is a reality and not uh, just an idea. And that uh, practice relies on the insight, the basic insight that uh, nothing uh, is lost. Your father is still there. Your grandmother is still there. The Buddha is still there in his new manifestations. So the second uh, the second uh, person in prayer, that one to whom we pray, uh, is concrete. Is really there, and we, we can really get in touch with him or with her. And that is why the insight is very important. Uh, Jesus, our Buddha, our grandfather, um, are not uh, something that only existed in the past. They are there in the here and the now. They are within you, around you, and you can get in touch. It's like the Sangha. The Sangha is there. If you have any difficulty, you ask, dear brothers, dear sisters in Sangha, please help. The Sangha is not a notion. The Sangha is a reality. So we know that uh, 
the Sangha is there, the community of brothers and sisters, the community of practitioners are there. We can always rely on the Sangha. And the Sangha um, always carries the Dharma, the living Dharma and the living Buddha. So touching the Sangha, touching the Buddha, touching the Dharma, uh, you touch uh, realities. And, and uh, the act of praying is very uh, concrete. It should, be, it should bring uh, uh, transformation and healing. When uh, we say, dear Sangha, please send energy to brother such and such who is in difficulty. We rely really on the power of the Sangha. And we know that the collective energy of the Sangha is, uh, is real. And um, because the Sangha uh, contains the Buddha and the Dharma, we also have the energy of the Buddha, the living Buddha, the living Dharma with us. So if we practice well, the energy of prayer will be very powerful and it can uh, change. And that energy is uh, within the one who prays, within uh, the Sangha, uh, who is uh, uh, who, 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 who supports uh, um, the prayer in the bringing the collective energy. And since the Sangha, since the Sangha has the living Buddha, living Dharma, uh, the energy can be very powerful. That energy is produced from within, and that is produced from the Sangha. And we know that uh, that energy can only be generated when mindfulness, concentration, and insight are there. You the one who asked the Sangha to send energy, you have to be fully present. You have to be uh, mindful, mm, concentrated. And you should have the insight that you are one with uh, uh, you are one with uh, the one to whom you address your prayer. You are also one with the one you pray for. And that is why insight is important in prayer. In prayer. And if uh, mindfulness, concentration, insight are present, uh, uh, there will be a transformation and healing.
So if uh, you go deep, you say that if uh, Christians pray in that way, with mindfulness, concentration, and special insight, there will be not much difference between Buddhism and Christianity. You know you are a very important part of uh, the prayer. The effectiveness of prayer depends on you very much. Because if you are not there, if you are not solid, if you do not have the insight, and then you cannot get in touch with uh, the powerful energy of the Sangha, of the Buddha. So, <clears throat> uh, in Buddhism, we do not speak of uh, God. We do not speak of uh, um, creation. We do not speak of uh, revelation. We do not speak of redemption or punishment. And in Buddhism, what is equivalent to God is uh, mind, especially the collective mind. Mind is the ground of everything. And when your mind gets in touch with the collective mind, everything is possible. And if uh, our friends in Christianity uh, see that God is uh, the spirit, the collective mind, from which everything manifests, and then the distance separating Buddhism and Christianity would not be important at all. It depends on the way we understand God. If we understand God as the ground of uh, being, from which everything manifests, and then our understanding is not different from the Buddhist uh, vision of mind, because uh, in the teaching of Buddhism, mind is uh, uh, the artist who designs everything, especially um, collective mind. You can move to the second question. Why is is it important to pray with the body? <clears throat> Everyone knows that uh, the position of our body is very important in prayer. If you are showing <coughs> your palm, <clears throat> if you are in a kneeling position, and then the you may be more concentrated because you are dressing the Sangha, the Buddha, you are dressing Jesus with uh, mindfulness and respect, and you are more truly uh, present. And uh, as far as insight is concerned, um, 
In the Buddhist tradition, we learn that body and mind are not two separate things. That um, the body is part of the mind, and the mind is a part of the body. The body is a continuation of the mind, and the mind is a continuation of the body. Reality uh, manifests itself as body, as mind, nama rupa. Uh, when you learn uh, uh, of uh, the twelve uh, links, you know that uh, because of uh, ignorance, uh, there is uh, consciousness. If there is no ignorance, consciousness will be called uh, wisdom. Because of uh, the existence of ignorance, that thing is called consciousness. Woman Yuen Han, Han Yuen Thuk. Because there is ignorance, there are um, impulses that will, uh, will bring about consciousness. Consciousness is the mind. Uh, uh, with the element of uh, ignorance. And from consciousness uh, manifest uh, body and mind. And because of uh, ignorance, we think the body is not mine, and mind is not body but both manifest from consciousness. And with that kind of vision, the non-duality of mind and body, uh, uh, Buddhists uh, always involve uh, the body in prayer, in meditation. The contemplation of the body in the body the contemplation of the mind in the mind. Body contains minds and mind contains body. And that is why in sitting meditation, in walking meditation, in mindful work, uh, in uh, the practice of uh, breathing, the mind and body always become one in order for the practice to be correct, to be fruitful. You don't just uh, meditate with your mind. Your mind is only half. You have to meditate with your body. And when you touch the ultimate reality, you touch also with your body and not just your mind. When you touch the kingdom of God, uh, the pure land of the Buddha, you touch with your feet, your hand, your eyes, and not just uh, your spirit. That is why um, in the Buddhist tradition, mind and body 
should be one. They have manifested uh, anyway from the same reality, consciousness. And uh, in the tradition of Christianity, uh, people have been able to see that also. In order to pray, you have to be quiet. You have to go home to yourself. You have to pray with your heart and not your body only. With your uh, mouth only. And that brings us to the third question. How can you avoid falling into the trap of routine when you are praying? The trap of going through the words and motions without paying attention. You are caught in the practice of the form. When you come up for chanting, when you listen to the chanting, you have to to involve all your body and mind. And if you do so, uh, uh, you are in uh, concentration. You are in mindfulness, and uh, you you come into phase with the sangha, and you become one with the sangha, like a, a river. You don't exist anymore as uh, an individual. You you become the river of the sangha, and. Um, The mind is, uh, should be always with the body. And that is why uh, mindful walking as a practice can be considered to be um, a prayer. You pray with your feet. And when you walk uh, with uh, mindfulness, uh, you can touch the kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha. And you can see the effectiveness of the prayer right away. When you breathe in and out mindfully, that is uh, real breathing. Body and mind are united. Um, It would be a pity if... uh, we just pray with our uh, with our mouth. Uh, we are reciting something, but our mind uh, wanders uh, into the past uh, or in the future. I think of uh, our project. This is not praying because you are not mindful. You are not concentrated. You do not have the insight. So the ba- the, the foundation of prayer is mindfulness, concentration, and insight. And in the Christian tradition, there are people who are capable of praying like that with mindfulness, concentration, and insight. And they call it uh, the prayer of the heart. You really pray uh, with your spirit and your body together, and not just uh, running your palm and uh, chanting something. And when you come up for chanting, uh, and while you chant and you are thinking of something, you have to go home to yourself. What I'm doing, I'm performing. I'm not uh, 
practicing. I'm performing a chant. I'm, I'm not uh, practicing. I'm not praying at all. And then the other members of the Sangha should remind you of that by their way of chanting, their way of practicing. And you have to help the Sangha uh, uh, to practice like that. Body always uh, together with the mind so that you can avoid the trap of uh, practicing only with the form. And this happened in Buddhism and Christianity and in every religion. And we know that if the practice is like that, there will be no uh, effectiveness. You do not have the kingdom of God. You do not have uh, the pure land of the Buddha you don't, because you don't have mindfulness, concentration, and insight. And that brings us to uh, the fourth question. There is a chapter on meditation in your book on prayer. How do you see the relationship between meditation and prayer in your own life? We call this the fourth uh, question. And in uh, the spirit of Buddhism, um, anything you do that is accompanied with uh, mindfulness, concentration, and insight can be considered to be a prayer. When you drink your tea in forgetfulness, life is not there. You are not truly alive because you are not there. You are not mindful, you are not concentrated. And uh, that moment is uh, and not a moment of practice a secular moment. But when you begin to hold the tea in mindfulness and concentration, and when you drink uh, your tea in perfect mindfulness and concentration, it looks like you are performing a ritual. And that is already a prayer. When you walk, and if you enjoy every step, if every step nourishes you, transforms you, every step is a prayer. So in the teaching, in the practice of Buddhism, in the tradition of Buddhism, there is no really, there is really no distinction between meditation and prayer. Because when you are mindful, concentrated, when you have insight, you get in touch with the Buddha land, with the Buddha, with the Sangha. And you pray, when you really pray, you get in touch with Jesus, with the kingdom of God. And getting in touch like that should bring about transformation and healing. And uh, when there is mindfulness, concentration, and insight, there's no longer distinction between the one who prays and the one to whom we address uh, our prayer. 
And that is why the communication is uh, deep, total, and uh, transformation and healing should not, uh, uh, should happen, must happen. When you walk at the airport, every step you make can be a prayer. You are truly alive. You don't lose uh, your time, your life. When you sit in solidity and freedom, when you breathe in and out in mindfulness, when you touch uh, the wonders of life, that is uh, meditation, that is also a prayer. And in true prayer, there is no longer any separation between the one who prays and the one to whom. When you live every moment of your daily life in the presence of God, it means you your daily life is a prayer. And there are those who are capable of doing so. And in Buddhism we learn that uh, there are very concrete ways to generate the energy of mindfulness, concentration and insight. And our practice consists in generating these three energies. And if these energies are there, there will be no longer any separation between the one who is praying the one to whom we address our prayer. And when <coughs> you practice mindfulness, sitting, walking, cooking, washing, you don't feel that you waste your life. You are living every moment of your life deeply. And your life becomes a prayer. And much happiness and peace results from that kind of, uh, of living. How can people find the time to pray every day? This is the fifth uh, question. And it uh, has been answered partly by, uh, by, by what has been said before. When every step becomes a prayer, when, a, when every breath becomes a prayer, when each moment of working or driving or eating becomes a prayer, and you don't need to set aside time for praying because uh, all your daily life is devoted to the practice of praying. And therefore, um, answering this question, we say that uh, we should not uh, um, uh, divide the time in that way time for working, uh, for eating, for living in forgetfulness, 
and a time uh, devoted to uh, mindfulness, concentration, insight, and prayer. That is not the way we see it. Uh, every moment of our daily life uh, can be a moment of prayer, of meditation, of practice. And we need uh, to be trained in order to do so. There are moments when we are not truly alive. We are pulled away, carried away by our worries, our anger, <coughs> our projects. And we waste our life because of that. And nobody wants to waste the, uh, his or her life. We want to live our life deeply. And the only way is to pray. The only way to, is to generate the energy of mindfulness, concentration, and insight. And then we can live very deeply every moment of our daily life. And our life is a life of practice. It's a life of prayer. There's no distinction between the time of praying and the time of uh, living or non-praying. The sixth question, what is the one thing people can do every day that will bring them closer to the happiness they seek? Let's do one thing. Because people are lazy, they don't want to do many things. They want to know just one thing, and if they do that, uh, they get closer to the happiness they seek every day. I think moving around with mindfulness, walking mindfully, maybe. what we propose as a gift. Because we are moving, uh, we move a lot during our daily life. You, if you want to go from here to there, uh, even if you need only to make five or six steps, and if you know how to make these steps mindfully, that can be already very helpful. You walk to the garage, Enjoy every step you make. Don't think of anything else. Just enjoy walking. You walk to your office. You walk to uh, uh, the workplace, uh, to the dining hall. Uh, Everything you, every step um, you make uh, should bring you back to the here and the now so that you can enjoy what is going on. And I think if uh, people on earth uh, know, all people on earth know how to enjoy uh, walking mindfully, that will transform the earth already, transform society already. Because everyone knows, has the techniques um, of uh, becoming more mindful, uh, everyone knows how to enjoy uh, each step they make. And then uh, 
Walking meditation is someone, something that everyone can do. There are those of us who, who find it difficult to practice sitting meditation. But walking, everyone walks. So um, I propose that uh, everyone, whether they are in Berkeley, or New York, or Amsterdam, or Paris, or Bangkok, enjoy mindful walking and uh, every time they they make a mindful step, they stop uh, uh, their forgetfulness. They go back to life. They touch uh, the wonders of life for the healing and transformation. And uh, walking meditation is very uh, pleasant, transforming and healing. So I propose um, to the readers of Weekly Magazine uh, that everyone uh, take up the practice of walking meditation to begin with, and that will change their life. Why, when you practice walking mindfully, you include your body with your mind. You include your breath. You become fully present, fully alive and you get closer to the happiness you are seeking for. <clears throat> the seventh question. How is prayer related to peace and to peacemaking? When you are mindful, when you are concentrated, when you have the insight, there will be peace in your body more peace in your body, more peace in your mind. If you know how to allow the collective energy of the Sangha to penetrate into your body, if you know how to practice really uh, um, mindful breathing, uh, to release the tension in your body and your feelings with uh, the practice of mindful breathing, and then the, there is more peace in you already. The moment when you sit down and begin to breathe in, calming your mind and your body, peace has become a reality. And breathing like that is praying. And when there is uh, the element of peace in you, uh, you can connect with other people and you can help others to be peaceful like you. And together you become uh, um, a body of peace, the Sangha body of peace. There are so many of us who are very eager to work for peace, but we don't have peace within. We shout for peace angrily, and we shout at the people who are also for peace like us. There are many groups who are very dedicated for peacemaking, but they fight each other a lot. And they cannot have peace. Therefore, peace should, be, should begin with yourself, with the practice of sitting quietly, walking mindfully, uh, taking care of our body, releasing the tension in our body and, our, in, and in our feelings. So the prayer <clears throat> the practice can bring peace uh, right away to us. And when you are more peaceful, 
more pleasant. You can be more effective in contacting other people and inviting other people to join the peace work, the work of peace. And since you, you are peaceful, you know how to look peacefully, how to speak uh, peacefully, how to react peacefully, and you can uh, persuade many other people to join you in uh, the work of uh, promoting peace and reconciliation. And uh, you cannot uh, have peace just by sitting down and negotiate or make plans. You have to learn to breathe in and out to calm yourself. And you have to be able to help the other person to do like you. And if there is no element of peace in you and the other person, uh, no work, no activities can be described as uh, genuine um, um, act of uh, peacemaking. So the president of uh, uh, of a nation, the prime minister of a nation, uh, the head of a political party, uh, has to practice peace, to pray for peace in his uh, body and mind uh, before uh, he can uh, he can be uh, effective in uh, asking other prime ministers and um, chief of nation to join him or her in making peace. And uh, I suggest that uh, each uh, peace uh, conference should begin with uh, walking meditation, sitting meditation. Someone should be there to give instruction as how to do total relaxation, to remove the tension in body and mind. That is civilization. That is bringing a spiritual dimension into our political, social uh, life. Peace in oneself will bring about peace uh, in community, in uh, the world. And uh, in our uh, uh, corporation, in our school, in our uh, um, uh, party, in our um, uh, city hall, we have to practice peace. Uh, school teachers have to practice peace. Uh, how to teach uh, the children, uh, the students, how to practice peace. And in the Congress, uh, people have to practice peace for themselves and ask other members of the Congress to practice peace. Uh, please 
the strategy of peace should involve practice with our body and mind. Now we come to the eighth question. Should Christians uh, who are attracted to Buddhist teaching and practice become Buddhist? If uh, Christians who know how to generate uh, mindfulness, concentration, and insight, they are already Buddhist. Whether they have formally taken uh, the five uh, Mindfulness trainings are the three refuse or not. They are truly Buddhist, even if they don't call themselves a Buddhist. Because uh, Buddhism, the essence of Buddhism is mindfulness, concentration, and insight. And uh, there are Christians who are capable of being mindful, concentrated, concentrated, and insightful. Uh, they are already Buddhist. They don't need to, to wear uh, the label of a Buddhist. And uh, when they express uh, the desire to, um, to, uh, to take uh, the three refuges and the five wonderful uh, precepts, uh, uh, they know that uh, this uh, practice also strengthens uh, their faith in Christianity. They do not lose uh, their roots, and uh, they do not uh, betray uh, their tradition. Based on the insight that um, in their tradition, uh, mindfulness, concentration, and insight are also very important. And coming to the Buddhist practice center, they learn uh, uh, they learn uh, methods of practice that can help them generate um, mindfulness practice, uh, mindfulness concentration and insight. And they know that uh, in their tradition, these, uh, these uh, energies are also very crucial. And they want to uh, make use of uh, their insight, their experience in order to renew the tradition so that many young people know, would know more uh, in a concrete way to generate these, uh, these energies. And practicing Buddhist meditation in that way uh, not only uh, will not, uh, not only uh, help them to be a better Christian, but also help them to uh, renew Christianity in such a way that uh, the young generation of uh, Christians would feel more comfortable. Uh, because every tradition should, uh, should renew itself in the light of uh, the new development in our Buddhism also should renew itself.
So um, we should not be uh, caught by the appearance. They are Buddhists. They are people who call themselves Buddhists, but they are not very Buddhist. There is a discrimination, uh, dogmatism in them. And they are less Buddhist than many Christians. There are many Christians who do not call themselves Buddhist, but they are more Buddhist than the, uh, and these uh, Buddhists. And therefore, we have to learn to look like that. And when the, a uh, Christian embraces the Buddhist practice uh, correctly, he will never be uprooted from his Christian uh, roots. In fact, he has or she has more opportunity to be to rediscover his or her own tradition and help renew it. And if uh, uh, and uh, the right attitude is uh, um, not to to encourage people to 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 be uprooted from that tradition. The right attitude is to urge them to go back to the traditions. And the practice of Buddhist um, mindfulness, concentration, and insight should be able to do so. Uh, I think there are enough Buddhists. You don't have to convert many people more into Buddhism. Just taking care of the actual Buddhists takes a lot of energy already. Many of them don't practice, so don't worry about making more Buddhist. <clears throat> what did you find in Vietnam when you returned in, in 2005? What were your impressions? You're almost 40 years uh, uh, of exile. Uh, and I left the country in order to uh, call for a cessation of uh, the hostilities. And uh, because of that, I was uh, not allowed to go home anymore. When I come back to Vietnam, I realized that uh, about 25 million people had been born during my absence. And most of the people I meet, uh, I didn't know. I, I did not know. But looking deeply, uh, I see their parents, and I'm able to touch them deeply. And uh, the most outstanding fact is that there is no war anymore in Vietnam. And this is the most wonderful thing. There are other problems like corruption, pollution, poverty. But there is no war. That is already something. And um, our, uh, we, go, we go home with a Sangha of 100 monastics and 100 uh, lay pe people. And he wanted our delegation to be solid in mindfulness, concentration, and insight as a gift, as a, a, a gift we make to the nation or to the people. We, want, uh, we wanted that our practice be solid. 
and um, I'm very grateful for for the monks and the nuns and the lay friends who came with me uh, in that trip because uh, they tried their best in order to to offer um, the best kind of present to the country and the people. Uh, a, there was a lot of uh, fear, uh, suspicion, uh, misunderstanding, and we had to practice very, uh, uh, very deeply in order to help remove uh, this uh, uh, suspicion and fear. And um, and, um, and uh, misunderstanding. Um, monks and nuns stay in temples, and of course, uh, secret police came uh, and spy on us. Lay people stay in hotels, and also, oh, and uh, we know that police, secret police came to to the hotel to inspect us. And our lay friends have um, transformed the hotels into practice center. They wake up uh, early in the morning doing sitting meditation, walking meditation. They only eat vegetarian. They never drink wine or beer. So they begin to see our uh, authenticity as a Sangha. They see that not only the, the monastic practice uh, uh, well, but the lay people practice also very well. There were uh, lay Dhamma teachers in the midst. So slowly, we, um, we, uh, with our perseverance, with our patience, with our loving kindness, uh, we begin to transform people. We were able to remove uh, uh, wrong views in them. Uh, we uh, remove, um, help them to uh, uh, to to reduce their fear, their suspicion, and uh, on the last um, month of the trip, of the trip, they they allowed us to uh, hold a public talks outside of temples, but before that. Uh, there was no way to uh, to persuade them to uh, to allow us to uh, to have a public talks uh, outside the temples. And many uh, communist countries, uh, governmental uh, agents came to the talk. They never go to temples. And uh, the first time, many of them in the communist um, circle, government circle. Uh, this is the first time when they are exposed to the engaged teaching, engaged teaching of Buddhism. And they were very enthusiastic. And they could see that the level of fear, suspicion, uh, and misunderstanding go down, going down every day. And uh, we have uh, got a breakthrough. And we know that uh, the effect of the visit still continues. Uh, there's still a lot of things to do. How to, uh, uh, how to um, 
deal with poverty, uh, social injustice, uh, pollution, um, corruption. And we have uh, said that uh, without uh, brotherhood, without a spiritual dimension, we cannot do that. So communist countries, uh, party members, and governmental officials are um, urged in these Dhamma talks to embrace a spiritual dimension in order to be able to, to do so. To, to deal with the difficult questions of, um, of the country. And uh, during the visit, uh, we have organized uh, retreats for monastics, attended by so many monastics, more than 1,000. Uh, people, Iksha retreat, retreats for lay people, uh, Dharma talks, uh, walking meditation. And um, although uh, the government did not allow the press to talk about our activities, but many people in Vietnam was aware that we were there. And I believe that more than 200,000 people have directly come and get in touch with the Sangha and with the practice. And uh, the Dhamma talks given in this, um, in, in Vietnam have been duplicated. And the day we left Vietnam, uh, we learned that 50,000 uh, CD of the talks have been uh, produced. And um, and uh, because people need, they, they want it. And uh, now the Root Temple uh, and the Prashna Temple have uh, <coughs> something like uh, three, four hundred um, monastics practicing uh, in a style of Plum Village. And uh, many people are very interested because we are a sample of renewed uh, Buddhism. And uh, we hope that uh, the presence of these uh, practice centers will inspire many temples, many practice centers to, to renew the teaching and the practice. The tenth and the last question you will be 80 this year. Do you plan to retire as a teacher at any point? In Buddhism, we believe, we see that the teaching is done not only by talking, but also by living your own life. Your life is the teaching, is the message. And since I continue to sit, to walk, to eat, uh, to interact with uh, the Sangha and the people, I continue to teach even if I have already encouraged uh, my senior students to begin to uh, replace me in giving Dharma talks. In the last uh, two years, I have asked uh, Dharma teachers, 
not only in the um, monastic circle, but also in the lay circle to uh, come up and give uh, Dhamma talks. And many have given uh, wonderful Dhamma talks. Some of the Dhamma talk is um, better than mine. And uh, I see myself uh, in, the continu- in my continuation. And uh, I will not retire. I continue to, uh, to teach, uh, if not uh, with my Dhamma talks and then with my way of uh, sitting, eating, smiling, uh, interacting uh, with the Sangha. And I like to be with the Sangha. Even if I don't give the Dhamma talk, I like to join walking meditation, sitting meditation, eating mindfulness, and so on. So don't worry. If I retire, I will continue to do walking, sitting, and things like that. And uh, uh, when people are exposed to the practice, they are inspired. And you don't need to talk in order to teach. You need to live your life mindfully and deeply. Thank you.